Hi everyone, hope you had a great weekend. I'm Tony Chen and this is Fish and Bits, a business and data podcast on the world of seafood. Today, we're going to discuss the importance of having a social license in aquaculture and how the Norwegian government's new findings on sea lice is once again at the center of the conversation for how to establish that license across the country. The term social license has been used in business for the last 20 years. It was originally developed in the mining industry to describe the legitimacy, trust, and credibility that the industry needed from its community in order to open their minds. With the recent news of fish health concerns in Norway, sea lice outbreaks in Iceland, and algae blooms in Chile, the salmon farming industry has seen some significant hits to their social license in just the last few months. And some of this is normal. With any quickly scaling business, mistakes will be made and promises broken. But that overall trust that an industry has with the public has to be maintained in order for the industry to grow. And throughout the history of salmon farming, there has been no country that has accomplished this balance better than Norway. Throughout its 40-year salmon farming history, they have been able to continuously grow their industry in a far more consistent manner and faster than any other nation. And I'd argue a large reason for this is because of their social license. And currently, one of the largest drivers of that license is the management of sea lice. We're coming up on another round of traffic light designations by the Norwegian government, and the Marine Institute of Norway has just published their report on the assessment of the sea lice situation across the country. In this episode, I'm going to first discuss the importance of a social license and how that license matters more than just to the community where these farms are actually located. I'll share how lice has become a critical part of that social license, and then I'll dive into the details of how Norway assesses their sea lice situation each year. Lastly, I'll discuss how the industry has responded to this assessment and how the dialogue between the government and industry is critical for the continuation of a social license, and in turn, the ability for the salmon farming industry to grow. Let's dive in. Salmon farming started in the 1970s in Norway and many countries since them have grown their own internal industries. Today, a handful of countries, Scotland, the Faroe Islands, Chile, Canada, and Australia are all growing salmon. When you compare their growth, however, what you will see is an extremely stark difference between the overall growth of two countries, Norway and Chile, compared to the rest. Throughout history, Norway and Chile have both averaged more than 20,000 tons of additional salmon produced each year, whereas the UK, who in third place, has done less than 5,000 tons per year over the last 40 years. And when you look at the graphs, Norway and Chile look like exponential curves, and the other countries look like slowly growing lines. Now, I understand that for some countries, there will be limits to how fast and how much they can grow. A small island like the Faroe Islands simply does not have the same capacity compared to the coastline of Norway. But even still, I'd argue that supporters of the industry in almost all of the countries believe that there's still room for growth. And I believe that social license has a role to play in order to meet that desire. Let's walk through a few notes about social licenses 
and what has changed since the term was first used in the mining industry. At its simplest, it's a qualitative measurement of a community's support of the actions of a business or an industry. It's as simple as, do people believe in the companies in the industry working in their areas? In the mining industry, it's commonly used as a subject that ranks really high as concerns that executives are paying attention to. In that market, we've seen plenty of cases where a company may have the rights and legal approval to begin drilling, but the lack of a social license or support from the community can derail an entire project. And aquaculture is no different. Dog Sletmo, a senior executive at DNB Bank, has mentioned it many times in recent months that the salmon industry needs to improve their social license to operate, and I agree with them. As a seafood bank that operates around the entire world, they must constantly assess how the social license can impact the ability for companies in the sector to grow. In the last few years, we've already seen some of these impacts. The farming ban in Washington state, the removal of farms in British Columbia, Canada, and the protests in Iceland could all be attributed to a degrading social license between the industry and their communities. The public feel that promises to prevent escapes, manage sea lice, and maintain fish health haven't been met, and that has pressured politicians to take action. Over time, this lack of an established social license can completely stagnate an entire industry, and it's one of the reasons that contribute to the lack of growth in certain regions of the world. Additionally, I think it's important to point out that the term was introduced at a time when establishing a social license to operate was fairly regional and based around small communities, where you only needed a small number of people in a county or a district to gain the support needed to have a strong social license. Bringing new jobs to remote areas and supporting communities with an injection of capital are common messages that industries use to gain support, and oftentimes that works. An industry like salmon farming can revitalize an entire community and bring hundreds of millions of dollars annually to areas that would otherwise have very little industry. But I would argue that gaining a social license to operate is not something that a company must gain in just small communities that they operate in. Today, industries in one area of the world must obtain a social license from an entire global market. Images of promises not kept, like the sea lice outbreak in Iceland, are not just seen by coastal towns, but instead it can spread across the entire world within minutes. In Iceland's case, we've seen pop superstars like Bjork and clothing companies like Patagonia speak out against the salmon farming industry, and you can't tell me that their influence doesn't impact the thinking of politicians who are responsible for regulating the quickly growing industry. Patagonia in particular has developed an extremely successful social license as a responsible clothing maker that supports climate issues. For a country like Iceland, where tourism driven by their natural wonders is a large economic driver for the country, I can guarantee you that politicians must be paying extremely close attention to the social license that salmon farming has globally to make decisions on its future growth within the country. So that brings the conversation back towards sea lice, as it's one of the central topics that is interwoven into the social license agreement between the salmon industry and the public. The public is concerned that sea lice have an impact on wild migrating salmon, and regulators have developed limits for sea lice 
and the farms are responsible for staying within those legal limits. And Norway's traffic light system for lice is the most advanced form of this regulation. As I've mentioned before, Norway's approach to managing aquaculture's policy typically sets the standard that all the other countries follow. And that's why I'm going to dive in a little bit deeper here. If you haven't listened to my previous episodes on sea lice and the impact that it has on the industry, I would encourage you to give it a listen as it dives into the details behind the traffic light system and the solutions that farmers use to manage lice. For this episode, all you need to know is that Norway is divided into 13 different regions, and sea lice results in each one of these regions dictate whether the industry can grow their volumes next year or not. As long as more regions are green than red, the overall production volume of Norway can grow. And the assessment that judges the overall cellulite situation in each one of these production regions is what I'm going to break down next. Every two years, the country repaints its traffic lights. The new fisheries minister, Celia Mirseth, has stated that the new zones will be showcased at the beginning of next year. And the assessment performed by the Marine Institute of Norway is the central piece of data that is being used to monitor the sea lice situation in each region. That report was just published, and it received a stark response from the industry. Many farmers and industry organizations have spoken out, saying that it doesn't accurately affect the situation on the ground, and I'm going to break down why they feel that way. Let me walk you through the steps of the assessment. The key driver behind the sea lice regulation is the concern that sea lice at farming sites impact small wild salmon migrating out from rivers. So the assessment is focused on measuring that impact. Makes sense. Each spring, juvenile salmon in streams go through smultification and migrate out to the open ocean. And over the course of six weeks, the Marine Institute is sampling these fish to measure how sea lice impacts these animals. The sampling occurs in three ways. It each has a separate purpose. The first sampling method is bait and net fishing at a number of designated routes that are checked daily. They record the number of lice on the animals and monitor the data. The second method is trawling boats that use nets to capture salmon in specific outer parts of the fjords along the coastline. And this method is used to measure the overall accumulated sea lice impact on smolts on their way out to the open ocean. They take efforts to make sure that the fish captured are wild smolts at the right size and use specifically designed nets to lessen the amount of scales loss as well as sea lice. The last method is strategically placed cages along the waterways and within each cage are 30 farm smolts that are replaced every two weeks. This sampling method gives a baseline for how the infection pressure changes over time in this particular season. They suspend a one meter cage about one meter below the surface of the water. In this way, by cycling the fish in and out, they can catch seasonal trends within the different weeks. These activities happen over a course of a few weeks throughout April into June, and the sea lice counts from the fishing and trawling sampling methods are the primary data points used to determine a number of metrics. They calculate the overall percentage of fish that have any sea lice attached on them, the average number of lice per fish, and the percentage of fish that have more than 10% body coverage of lice. The significance of the 10% number is that based on laboratory studies, 
10% body coverage is the threshold that salmon will start to die from just having too many lice. You can imagine for many farm salmon, who are quite large, it would take way more lice than these smaller smolts. And here are the results. They've publicly stated that roughly 30% of all salmon leaving wild streams are dying to that lice. And they saw high numbers of mortality across the regions from PO2 to PO7. Currently, there are two zones that are in the red, which means that they have to decrease harvest volumes every single year. Those would be PO3 and PO4. By my calculations of the fish captured in the lice assessment, the percentage of fish exposed to deadly levels of lice in PO3 was 53%, and PO4 was 73%. These numbers were definitely worse than other parts of the country. The announcement of these results have resulted in a strong response from the industry. Christer Haas, the industry's working group's representative in these regions, have authored points countering the report. And I understand the concern. The key point that the industry continues to point out is that they don't believe that this assessment is a fair, holistic view of the entire situation. Farmers feel that their efforts to mitigate lice aren't being accounted for. In previous analysis that our team conducted, you could easily see that based on the sea lice counts at the farms, significant improvements have clearly been made in response to the sea lice regulations in these regions. And even more improvement than we see in other regions. Millions of dollars have been invested by farmers in coordinated sea lice treatments, new sea lice treatment solutions, and changes to farming operations to address the situation. But even with all of that progress, the ruling continues to be that production areas 3 and 4 have needed to reduce their volumes of fish year after year since the traffic light system has come into effect. Farmers feel that they have put in the effort and improved on metrics that are within their own control, but the metrics that the government is using to measure the impact doesn't reflect the same story. And it's easy to blame each side and try to shoot holes through each argument. Farmers claim the process that the Marine Institute uses to measure pressure is flawed. Sample sizes are too small when you're only catching 5 to 10 fish at a time in certain regions, and the statistical significance just can't be reached based on those numbers. On the other side, the public claims that farmers are lying about their sea lice numbers, and there aren't enough protocols to ensure that the results on the farming side are truthful. But when you look at this dialogue from a slightly higher perspective, I see this back and forth as an important development in establishing the social license to operate. Each side is looking to lower their own risk. Farmers want a predictable path to continue growing, and the government wants to ensure that growth supports the public's desires to protect wild salmon. At the end of the day, what everyone is trying to figure out is the truth behind what is happening in the ocean. And that truth only comes with time and continued efforts to collect more data. It's an incomplete puzzle that we're trying to figure out. So there will always be flaws and uncertainty along the way. But if each side can agree that enough progress has been made and promise is kept, what we see is that aquaculture will continue to grow in the way that it has in Norway. If not, the pattern suggests that it'll be more like regions like Scotland who started farming around the same time, but has seen stagnating growth for many years. It'll be really interesting to see what develops in the years to come, and it doesn't just apply to the salmon industry. That's all for today. 
I hope you've enjoyed this episode on aquaculture social license and the assessment of Norway's sea lice audits. If you did, I encourage you to send this podcast to your friends and follow us. We publish episodes each week, and I'll continue to follow the developing situation in Norway, as well as other aquaculture business topics. Have a great week, and we'll talk again soon. Thank you.